Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 11 and 12 uh, give us uh, what we're saying is this, is the conclusion of the matter. We think, and we're not exactly sure when Solomon wrote this in his life, but by the statements that he makes, he's at least a middle-aged man, if not an older man in life. Because he has had opportunities to build things, to do things, to experience things, to study things. And so that takes time. And so he's had that opportunity. And so uh, he's writing this book with a perspective of a track for the world. Because we said the, the tract here, this booklet, is all about God, not Jehovah, but just the generic name for God that everybody would call uh, the chief God. Uh, and it's a statement about that. So anybody could read this and go, okay, I can have an understanding of God. They may not know him as Jehovah yet. But then there is uh, this passage here that indicates the fact that this book was mainly written for young people. And the truths that are here are things that if a young person learns these, they will be wise beyond their years. And in this section, as Solomon closes up this book, he has this rather lengthy section uh, that's a great poem that we'll talk about here, but he has a section where he directs his attention directly at young people. You see in verse 7 it says this, Truly the light is sweet, and a pleasant thing it is for the eyes to behold the sun. But if a man live many years and rejoice in them all, like you're supposed to day in and day out when God gives you things, you rejoice in them all. Yet let him remember the days of darkness, for they shall be many. All that cometh is vanity. And then this statement, Rejoice, O man, in the in thy youth, and let thine heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth, and walk in the ways of thine heart, and in the sight of thine eyes. But know thou that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. Therefore remove sorrow from thine heart, and put away evil from thy flesh, for childhood and youth are vanity. And then verse 1 of chapter 12, remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. And we get started in school, and uh, we talk about in the school year the three important R's, reading, writing, and arithmetic. And you're like, great, that really just starts the year off with people not even doing their reading right because arithmetic starts with an A, and you know, you're just kind of like, okay, but we, we understand that that's the three R's of learning. Well, in this passage, uh, we have three R's that Solomon wants youth to remember. And as we go through, you start this way, and, uh, well, clicked over. Okay, you get all of them. Uh, But the first one is this, remove, or excuse me, rejoice in your youth. I mean, you read that statement in chapter 11 and verse number 9, and you're going, no, 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 no. Don't enjoy your youth because that's usually when you get in trouble. You know, don't do that. No, but Solomon says, no, rejoice in your youth. Because in your youth, what do you have? You have all sorts of energy. 
You know, the diseases that you may have may not have uh, run their course yet where they debilitate you and, and do things like that. Or as you get older, there's more and more responsibilities in life. You know, family responsibilities and job responsibilities and all of these things that, that you have that kind of tie you down. I was sitting and thinking this last week. Uh, I don't you know, your parents would tell you this, but I don't think I realized what I had when I was a kid. You know, summer days where you're just kind of like, you get up, you don't know what the day's going to be, and you go out and just kind of enjoy the activity that's there, uh, and you come back home, and, and it's just another summer day. And really what you find with the children is that they're enjoying life as you kind of should. Each day is a gift from God, enjoy it as it comes. That's kind of what Solomon's been saying here is that, you know, every day is a gift from God, and when you have children and teenagers, uh, they kind of just see each day uh, as a new activity and adventure, and so there is this element, enjoy the time and enjoy the strength and enjoy the energy that you have. Okay, rejoice in your youth. But it's not just that, because Solomon does put in a few things to go, okay, but you do need to have boundaries. Okay, there's nothing of Solomon here saying, sow your wild oats. You know, it's okay to do this your teen years, you know, sow your wild oats, just kind of, you know, do some things that are really, you know, not good, but you know what, you at least experience them and whatever else, and that's kind of what the world gives as advice. That's not what Solomon's saying here. He's saying enjoy the energy and the strength that you have. Do things that you won't have time to do otherwise when you're young. But you need to remove sin from your life. This is what you have at the end of verse number 9, where it says, But know thou that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment, so therefore remove sorrow from thine heart and put away evil from thy flesh. There is this boundary line where God says, Enjoy things, but don't sin in doing them. Don't cross over those boundary lines that God has very clearly set. You say, what does that mean if I cross the boundary lines that God set? Well, it's defined that sin is the transgression of the law. 1 John 3 tells us that, and for me to step over that boundary is sin. And, you know, sometimes people go, well, I don't know what God wants me to do. Well, there's some very clear things. You don't cross those boundary lines. You don't lie, you don't cheat, you don't commit adultery, you don't dishonor your parents. I mean, these are very simple commands, and you're just kind of going, okay, pretty, pretty solid things there uh, to define life by. And so what Solomon says, there are clear boundary lines, so don't cross those boundary lines. And when it says removing sorrow from your heart, that doesn't mean don't be sad, because he's already made the statement that it's good to go to the house of mourning rather than the house of feasting. I mean, there's times where sorrow is good, uh, reminds us of those true things. But really, in this context, as you read it, it's not so much the sorrow. It's remove things that are evil that will eventually cause you sorrow. Bring grief to your life. Don't do those things. 
uh, don't have uh, regrets that you go through with the rest of your life or directions that you set early in your youth that you couldn't fix. So remove evil from your life, sin from your life. But then this statement in in, uh, verse 1 of chapter 12 Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. And you go, well, why does he use that term remember? Well, this whole book that you're going to get to the end has has been talking about the fact that there is a fear of God. What is a fear of God? It's not that I'm in terror of God. It's just that you're considering God in your thoughts that he plays a role in your life, that he's not just this God who's out there that every once in a while I come to and then leave again. No, he's a God who's involved in every aspect of my life, has great interest in who I am, is involved in all the affairs of uh, life. He is uh, one who desires to be my heavenly father. He wants to have relationship and fellowship with me. He's this kind of God And so remembering my creator, the issue is is that sometimes I forget about him and go my own way, and then when I actually get back in and focus on him, I start getting things correct again. But if I'm always considering him as part of my life, this fear of God, which is the beginning of wisdom and beginning of knowledge, if he's in my thoughts throughout the day, then what you're going to find is that you're going to have success throughout life until that point where you, well, start getting old. And sometimes it comes much faster than you want it to. For all of us that are in this room, we would uh, very well give testimony to the fact that old age came really, really fast. You know, you still think in your mind that you're young. And sometimes you do things that you're just kind of like, I shouldn't have done that after you've done them. But we think young, and I, I have an explanation for that. God created us to live forever, and our mind doesn't really have a, our body as a part of it. It's just kind of thinking, we'll live forever. And so this body that we're in keeps up with our mind. You know, our mind thinks that, and it's like, no, no, it doesn't. Our body breaks down. Our body breaks down and, and uh, does this. And What you have in Solomon then talking about this fact, remember God now in the days of thy youth because old age is coming. He has one of the, some have described it, the greatest poem on old age. And it starts there in verse 1 where it says this, where the years draw nigh when thou shalt say I have no pleasure in them. And then he uses all sorts of metaphors Describe what old age is like. Verse 2, while the sun or the light or the moon or stars be not darkened, nor the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house shall tremble and the strong men shall bow themselves and the grinders cease because they are few and those that look out of the windows be darkened. And the doors shall be shut in the streets when the sound of the grinding is low and he shall rise up at the voice of the birds and all the daughters of music shall be brought low. And when they shall be afraid of that which is high and fear shall be in the way and the almond tree shall flourish and the grasshopper shall be a burden and desire shall fail because man goeth to his long home 
and the mourners go about the streets, or the silver cord be loosed, the golden bowl be broken, or the pitcher be broken at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. What you have here is these metaphors as you read through it, and it may not be immediately for you to catch exactly what's being talked about, but you have these different pictures really of a city, but it's a person that's being described here. And you have these different things that are here, and we can just go through them quickly, where it talks about the keepers begin to tremble. Well, these are referring to the arms, you know, the, the tremors that begin to happen as you get into old age. And the strong men, they bow down. The legs get weak. Those things that have always given support and strength throughout the years, all of a sudden they start to give out. And the grinders, you, know, you go to New England, or grinder's a sub. Uh, we had our first occasion being out there, and somebody said, you want a grinder? You're like, what's a grinder? I have no idea what a grinder is. Uh, and they're like, you know. And you're like, no, I don't. Um, and they explain it, and you're like, oh, it's like a, a sub sandwich. And they're like, yeah, it's a grinder. I'm like, okay, all right. So, but here, grinders is not referring to that. Uh, it's referring to teeth. Uh, people looking out the windows. You go, what's that? Your eyes grow dim. You know, I've gotten to the point where I'm beginning to consider the fact that I need bifocals. You're just kind of like, whoa. Where did that come from? I mean, I've always had to wear glasses and contacts, but, I'm, I, you know, I, I got glasses just before I got here, and, and the prescription wasn't quite right because then all of a sudden I couldn't read things that are here now with my glasses. I'm nearsighted, so I should be able to read them, but now with my glasses I can't because, you know, the glasses aren't adjusting properly, so I need to go back to the doctor, some eye doctor sometime and have him go, okay, well, you need bifocals, and I hear those terms and be like, okay. I'm becoming my dad, uh, you know, uh, those type of things. But you know what? Eyesight gets worse. It's just part of life. It doesn't get better unless you have surgery. Uh, the doors are shut. You go, what's that? Your ears. Okay, your ears are closed and you don't hear things anymore and you sit through conversations and you walk away and someone then goes, well, what did you think of that? And you're like, What? I didn't even hear a word was said. I mean, I, I'm telling you right now, we're going to have this fellowship meal after uh, the morning service here, and some of you are going to sit through that time in that fellowship hall, and you're going to come out of there and wonder what was said. You go, there's all sorts of sounds going on. Yeah, the ears don't work like they used to. The Daughters of Music, uh, it has that term in... Um, oh, Daughters of Music, verse 4, uh, shall be brought low. Uh, that's referring to the vocal cords. You can't sing like you used to. can't speak like you used to. You can't have the strength of voice like you used to. Uh, that's not available to you. And then the almond tree. Now, for some of you, this has been the case. You have an almond tree. Uh, some of you, the leaves have just run away um, uh, on this. But the fact is, is all of us, sooner or later, our hair is going to turn different shades of white. It's just going to happen. You know, no matter what you try with uh, men with Grecian formula or ladies with dyeing, your hair is going to change to a different color, and it's going to be white more than likely. And so you have the almond tree that suddenly appears, uh, and you're going, where did this come from? Well, you're, you're getting older. 
And so here he's got all these pictures. He's just kindly, kindly showing through pictures that we're all going to get older, and we kind of go, uh-huh, I understand those things. But he also has, as you go through this, concerns of old age. And here's what they are. You go through the concerns of old age, there is the concern of bothersome noise. Now, this is a fascinating study because you have people that can't hear, but they hear noises all the time. In this case, here you have uh, the birds that are outside, uh, and it makes this statement, uh, uh, let's see, he shall rise up at the voice of the bird. Okay, so verse 4, it starts with the door shall be shut in the streets, and he shall rise up at the voice of the bird. So they can't hear anything, but a little bird outside, they hear it. And you kind of go, is that a regular part of old age? Yeah. There's all sorts of things they can't hear, but then there's things that they hear, and it is bothersome to them, and you're going, how are you hearing that? But they're hearing it. And so they don't get good sleep because they're bothered by different things and, and the like, but that's just a, another issue that's there. But you also have the fear of falling down. And you have uh, this thing in verse 5, also when they shall be afraid of that which is high. You know, suddenly steps are fearful things because they're really high. You know, it used to be that you climbed in trees and didn't really concern yourself with anything, and now it's that, okay, that step's about three inches high. I'm not sure what I'm going to do. It's coming. A fear of falling, a fear of uh, that type of issue. And then also this, diminished desire. You find this in verse 5 there in the middle. Uh, there's kind of a couple of words there, but it says desire shall fail, or the grasshopper shall be a burden. You're like, what? What's the grasshopper got to do with this? Uh, well, a grasshopper is a thing full of energy. You, know, you ever go out in a field and they're just jumping everywhere as you walk through there and there's quite the energy uh, to them? Uh, that's the kind of energy you would expect from people, but you know what? There are certain points where grasshoppers don't jump anymore. We're kind of going, hmm not doing what they used to. Yeah, things that you would expect to be normal. Same thing for people. Uh, you get to the point where there's just a diminished desire to eat. Those type of things. You don't have them anymore. And so you have all of that. And that's not it. Verses 6 through 7 kind of give us, well, and actually the end of verse 5, but 6 and 7 give us this understanding that, I'll put it this way, life, though it is beautiful, finally is broken going to happen. And the way he describes it is this verse 6, uh, the silver cord be loose. you got this wonderful looking cord that's there, but it breaks, falls apart. Or you have this golden bowl that's broken, or a pitcher that's broken at the fountain, or wheel broken at the cistern. You, you see these things that are useful and good, and then all of a sudden they're shattered and they're useless. No longer available for use. And so, why do I remember my Creator now? Because the days are coming where it's going to be harder and harder for me to act out and to display and do those things that bring glory to God and to enjoy life to the fullest. Uh, my body is going to be against me in this. And it's eventually going to break. And we're going to die. 
So for a young person reading this and they read those type of things, there is this kind of, you know, statement, ah, I'll never get like that. I'll never be like that. And if you're really being wise and you read this and go, this is a person who's going out of their way to tell me, do these things. Rejoice in the energy that you have right now. Don't cross any boundaries because you're going to have to stand before God in judgment. Remember God now. Okay, don't wait till later to remember your God. There's a lot of people who are are frustrated in life when they look back on it. They go, why didn't I do more in my youth for God? and display him and show him forth. Uh, Now I'm older and I can't. My opportunities are limited by the energy that I have and my capabilities that I have. I don't have that anymore. And so Solomon is, is really pleading with young people. Pay attention to my wisdom. This is what's going to happen. It really is going to. So then what Solomon does is he closes up the book with this statement, verse 8, vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, all is vanity. You go, well, why does he do that? Well, remember, this book is kind of, it flips in the center and it goes back to things that have been previously said or ideas that have come up. Remember, we started this book and it started off in verse 1, chapter, or chapter 1, verse 2, vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. You have this repeated statement again. And you go, well, why does he bring up this statement? Okay, we're coming to this clear conclusion. The ringing statement of life under the sun is this, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. If you just merely look at life under the sun, you don't look beyond it to God and look beyond it that there's a future. You're going to come away with this statement over and over and over again. There's no way of escaping this. You'll just kind of go, life's totally empty. Vanity, vanity is all is vanity. Come to the end of my life, die. And that's what a lot of people do in our time, in our sphere of the world that we're in. People live life and they get to the end and they're going, what was the meaning of this? I accomplished great things in business. I had many you know, family members. I did this and this and this and really what's, what's it mean in the end? Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. And so Solomon brings this up because that's his starting point because he says, if you want to live life under the sun, that's how you're going to feel. I experimented, tried it out. That's exactly how I felt. But then he goes on and says this, verse 9, moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge, yea, he gave good heed and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought out to find acceptable words, that which was written was upright, even words of truth. The words of the wise are as goads and nails fastened by masters of assembly, which are given from one shepherd. And further, by these, my son, be admonished. Of making of many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness to the flesh. Now, that's the you know, motto of a lot of college students much studying, there's, yeah, much weariness. But what Solomon's doing here is he's saying wisdom can be found, okay? Real wisdom and what life is about is available. It's not, you know, I got to go and search the highest mountain in the Himalayas to find it. 
No, uh, it's been laid out. Wisdom's been laid out in order. Uh, wisdom can help an individual to nail down some issues in life. He is the preacher's going, here are some truths from God, and I'm just kind of laying them out there, and I put them in order for you. And he had a whole book where he had Proverbs, where he had all of these things laid out for people. You want bits of advice on how to live with your riches and how to live with a contentious person and how to live with, he's just laying this out. So wisdom's available for living life. Even though life can be frustrating in the sun, you can have wisdom to live it the best that you possibly can in a way that brings glory to God. And there is, as it talks about goads and nails, there are things that you can put your life and nail them on there and say, this is solid because it's from God. It's wisdom laid out. Now, one warning, trying to get all the answers will have no end. If you want to get all the answers in life, you're not going to get them. You go, I don't know about that. Read Job. It's a wisdom book. Did Job get all the answers? No. You kind of go, well, he's, he's like the most perfect person in the world. Yeah, he still didn't get all the answers. You kind of go, okay, so I take what wisdom I have and use it, but if I think I'm going to answer every single one of life's problems, I can't do that because that's for someone beyond the sun to answer and figure out, not me. That's God's work. So then you come to the conclusion of the book, and if you want to just simply figure out what the book's about, this is really nice because you get to the very end and he goes, okay, I spent 12 chapters here it is. You want to know what life is? Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Verse 13. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. It's the whole responsibility of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment and with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. And so the conclusion is this. Fear God and keep his commandments. Kind of go, that's it? I mean, to live life like I should, I should act as if he really exists and think about him and do what he says? You know, that's, that's pretty simple. I mean, you've gone through this whole book and you're kind of like, how do I live my, you know, in this situation and this situation and, and this situation in life, how do I live that way? And it just comes down to this. Act as if God really does exist, that he plays a role in your life, that he is your God. That's your whole responsibility in life. You're going to have to answer someday for it. This is the only thing a person can control. It's each, each person's major responsibility. You can't, you can't control what is going to happen to you. But you can certainly control your response to it. There's a lot of people who spend their life trying to control what's going on around them and they find it very frustrating because that's not their responsibility. God brings us our days and what's going to happen in those days, those type of things are going to happen and God just brings them in. There's seasons of happiness, seasons of mourning, seasons of tearing things up, things, times of building and it, you can't escape that. But what I have a responsibility for and I have control over is the way that I respond. And so... This is the only thing I do. I live fearing God, do what he says. And you'll find life to work. 
You'll have to answer for whether or not you lived your life in the fear of the Lord. One day you'll have to stand before God and you're going to have to give account for every day he gave you and not an extra day more. So how am I supposed to give answer before him and the right answer before him when I'm judged by him? It's just simply this, that, Lord, I loved you and lived for you and did what you said. And you know what the delightful thing for a person like that to hear is? Well done. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Those days I gave you to steward as my servant, you used them well. For my glory, living as if I really had a part of it and magnifying me by doing what I said. Well done. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And that would be another way that he could have ended this book, but that's really what he's saying. This life will end. One day we'll be standing before God. Will we have lived every day in the fear of the Lord, doing what he says? Lord, we thank you for your word. This has been a good reminder for us, even today. How are we supposed to live our life? Well, even as we hear your word and see different things and hear different things, we live life as if you really do exist in our own soul, talking and communicating with you as we hear your word, and then we just do what you say. And our actions and reactions to people throughout the day, that we reflect uh, what is right and good. And so, Lord, uh, we thank you that uh, you have given us this book as a reminder. May we live by the challenge right at the very end here, and then one day be delighted to hear that statement from you, well done, well done. May that be our goal, and this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.